Bibles and turn to the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth tonight, chapter number one. The book of Ruth tonight, chapter number one. Appreciate again all of you being here tonight in the service on this rainy night. You're talking about raining. You should have been with us coming across that mountain, coming through the gorge, pouring the rain. But I bless the Lord for it. He knows what we need. Appreciate again you being here. Book of Ruth, chapter number one. I want to take a little different look tonight, maybe at the book of Ruth and what you're accustomed to. I trust the Lord will use this. He's laid it upon our hearts. and I trust God will speak to our souls. I like what uh, I heard one brother say, one writer said, uh, he talked about the division of the book of Ruth. And he said, have you ever noticed how the book of Ruth is set in the Bible? Uh, it's set, uh, Judges comes before the book of Ruth, and uh, then First and Second Samuel comes after the book of Ruth. And one writer said that uh, the book of Judges was a book of gloom. And then the book of First and Second Samuel was the books of glory. And then the book of Ruth was a book of grace. He said the only way to get from gloom to glory was through the grace of God. And I like that. Ruth, the eighth book in the Old Testament, the number eight means a new beginning. And you find that uh, Ruth finds a new beginning in this book. So much here uh, that uh, shows us the grace of God. Someone has said that Naomi teaches us the lesson of the recovery of grace. Ruth teaches us the lesson of the reach of grace. And Elimelech and his two sons teach us the lesson of the restrictions of grace. And then Boaz teaches us about the Redeemer of grace. And you could just go on and on with the analogies and the comparisons that are found in the book of Ruth. Now, I want us to begin reading in Ruth chapter 1 and verse number 1. I'll ask you to stand with us tonight, please. Ruth chapter 1, verse number 1. The Bible said, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, Ephraimites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons, and they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orphan, the name of the other Ruth, and they dwelt there about ten years. And Malon and Chilion died, also both of them, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Now, pause to say that I'm glad that somebody did not forget Naomi. I'm glad somebody brought her the message that there was bread back in Bethlehem, Judah. And God help us not to forget those who have strayed and those who have went away from the Lord. There was a faithful messenger, he's unnamed, but somebody visited her and told her how that God had visited Bethlehem, Judah. You say, preacher, why did she decide to go back? One brother said, for the need of bread, for a new beginning, and because of the name of Boaz. That's a good reason to go back, brother. Notice in verse number 7, wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was, and the two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And the Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Verse 12, Turn again, my daughters. Go your way. Notice in verse 14. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. 
For whether thou goest, I will go. And whether thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if all but death part thee and me. Now, I want to leave off reading there. We're going to look at some other verses in just a moment. But I want to use verse number 15 as the text for tonight. When the Bible said, And she, that's Naomi, said unto Ruth, Behold, thy sister-in-law, that's Ortha, is gone back under her people and under her gods. I want to preach tonight on the danger of going back. The danger of turning back on God. Let's bow our heads, please, for just another moment of prayer. Brother Randy, if you will, please, would you pray for us just now? Yes, Lord, I pray, oh God, tonight you help us. Pray you give us liberty, Lord. Oh God, speak, I pray. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. I want you to notice back in verse number 8, Naomi said, Go, return each to her mother-in-law's and mother's house. And then verse number 11, Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Verse number 12, she said, Turn again, my daughters. Go your way. Then in verse number 15, Naomi told Ruth, she said, Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Naomi tells these girls three different times, and then a fourth time under Ruth, she said, go on back. Go on back down to Moab. I want to preach tonight on the danger of turning back. Now, you know the story. Most of you are very familiar with the setting of this story. You know how they left the town of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went, the Bible said, to sojourn in the land of Moab. They only left to go there temporarily. But the Bible said they dwelt there about ten years. And that's how the progression of sin will work in your life. If the devil can get just get you temporarily out of the will of God, and then he'll begin to keep you there longer and longer and longer. You've heard the cliche that's been used down through the years, that sin will take you further than you meant to go. It'll cost you more than you meant to pay, and it'll keep you longer than you meant to stay. But we find here that those two boys... They married, after their daddy died, they married Moabitist girls. And that was against the law. The Moabitists were out of region. They were off limits under the people of Jerusalem. And we find here that these two boys married Moabitist girls. May I throw this in here, Mom and Dad, that if you get out of the will of God and leave the church and leave the house of bread where God feeds you and you choose to go down to Moab, you may find the consequences are that your children may marry out of the will of God and get out in the sin just like these boys did. That They married out of the will of God. And you know how the Bible said that these boys died, that they died. And then Naomi heard that they was bred back in Bethlehem, Judah, and she made the decision to go back. Now, I want to use that phrase there about turning back, the danger of turning back. That when you come to the book of Ruth, that this principle, this teaching of turning back is not new to the Bible I mean, we find it in the book of Genesis, chapter number 2 and 3. We find there how that Adam and Eve turned back on God. Why, they turned back against the very words of God. God had told Adam, he'd instructed him, Adam, you're not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you know how they turned back on God. They disobeyed God. And it brought sin into their life. And that God had to judge them and deal with them there. You'll read on, you know, in Genesis 13, that Lot turned back. You remember how he turned back from following after Uncle Abraham? And he set his tent, pitched his tent down toward the plains of Sodom. And Lot turned back. 
You can find in the Bible in Psalm 78, verse 41, that talking about Israel. Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. The nation of Israel turned their back on God Himself. And then when you get in the New Testament, you can find how Demas, 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul said, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Demas turned his back on God's man. And Demas turned his back on the ministry of God. He turned back. And I hate to have to say this tonight, and I hate to have to bring it to our attention, but there's many that are turning back on God in the hour that we're in. I wish that I could say because of the indwelling presence of the Holy Ghost that, that there's nobody turning back. I wish I could say because of our great high priest, whoever liveth to make intercession for us, that there's nobody turning back. I wish I could say because of the abundant supply of the grace of God, I wish I could say there's nobody turning back. But the sad commentary tonight is that there's many, there's multitudes that are turning back on God, friend. And they're going back out into Moab, going back out in the world. Sad to say, I've met teachers. I've met the singers. I've met evangelists. I've met preachers. I've met missionaries that have turned their back on God. And they've given up the church. They've walked away from fair Bethlehem, Judah. And they've gone back out in the world. You say, preacher, that'll never happen to me. You say, brother Buster, that'll never happen to me. The Bible said, wherefore let him that thinketh he stand, that take heed lest he fall. There's been better people than we'll ever hope to be that have fell by the wayside. They've been ensnared by the traps of the devil. And we must be careful, friend. We must be careful. There's a danger in turning back. Now, I want you to just bear with me for a few moments tonight. I want you to think about the principle of turning back that's taught us here from the book of Ruth. There's a principle that God wants to instruct us in. Now, as we look at this first chapter, I want you to think with me tonight. We look at a strange caravan. We look at a strange caravan coming out of Moab. And you say, preacher, what are you talking about? Well, many caravans had come by the city limits of Moab, all kinds of traders and, and those that would bring spices and those things. But tonight we see a strange caravan coming out of Moab. You see, it's made up of three widows. There's Naomi, there's Orpha, and there's Ruth. And they have agreed that they're going to leave the city of Moab. They have sat down and agreed. A mother-in-law, Naomi, said, Girls, I've heard that there's bread in Bethlehem, Judah, and I'm going back home. And the girls wept with her. And they said, Mother-in-law, we're going to go with you. Where you go with we're going, we're going with you. And there you see them coming out. We look at a strange caravan made up of three widows. But notice, secondly tonight, we listen to a stirring conversation. We listen to a stirring a conversation. You say, preacher, what do you mean? Is they're coming out of Moab. They've not yet quite reached the city limits. All you can hear is the pitter-patter of the donkey's feet. I guess they had a few belongings tied on the back of some kind of little animal. And you could hear the sobs. And you could feel the hot tears running down their cheeks. And not much is being said. They're draped in black. The garments of the widow. And all of a sudden, I'd like to believe that Naomi's leading this little caravan. And she turns around and raises her veil. And she says, girls, go back. Go back down to Moab. I can see as she pulls her veil down and begins to go a little further. Orpha looks at Ruth. And Ruth looks at Orpha. And they say, what's wrong with Mama? What's wrong with Mama Naomi? What's wrong with our mother-in-law? Maybe they say she's under great stress. Maybe the guests are too much for her. Why in the world would she tell us to go back to Moab? And then they go a little further. And again, Naomi turns around and says, Girls, go back! Go on back down there. Three different times. She urges them. She constrains them. She orders them. Turn, girls. Go back! 
Go on back down there to Moab. You say, preacher, doesn't Naomi know about Moab? Sure she does, brother. She's lived there ten long years. Preacher, doesn't she know about all the wicked, godless things they would do? Doesn't she know about their god, Chemos, where the Moabites would offer their firstborn and they would lay it into the arms of that idol god as the baby would burn to death? Doesn't she know about the fertility rites? Doesn't she know about all the pagan orgies that they would have that in Moab? Sure, Naomi's lived there ten long years. She knows all about it. But she said, go back, girls. Go on back. Turn back. Go back. You say, preacher, that's a stirring conversation to say the least. Now I say right here that there's a strange paradox in this hour. You know where I find most preachers and most pastors in this day? They're having to... Wet nurse, and they're having to burp, and they're having to change pampers on grown Christians. And they're trying to beg them not to turn back. And they're saying, come on now. Come on. Where are you going? Where are you going? Why, you're supposed to be going to Bethlehem, Judah. What are you doing going down to Moab? And most preachers have to spend most of their time trying to turn around so-called Christians and keep them going in this direction. Naomi said, nothing doing. She said, you make up your mind right now. I ain't carrying you. I ain't toting you. She said, if you want to go on back, go on back down there. She knows it's a long, long way to Bethlehem, Judah. She knows there's going to be storms and valleys and clouds. And she wants them to make up their mind right here and now. I remember my daddy saying years ago, he said, I ain't got time uh, to be running after a bunch of backslidden church members. Uh, he said, they know where I put the feet out. Uh, he said, I lay the feet in the trough uh, and holler suey. Uh, and he said, they know where they're supposed to be to eat. Uh, God help us in this hour uh, when you have to run after them. Uh, and you have to have a sugar tit to pop in their jaw. Uh, and you have to listen wine and dine them. Uh, and listen to the little belly aches and the grumbles uh, and their complaints. Uh, hey, look at me, friend. Uh, right down yonder's Moab. Uh, and if you don't intend on going this way, uh, you might as well just go on down there. Go on down there. Might as well make up your mind now. Make up your mind now. Oh, this low-down outfit's killing preachers across this country. I mean, it's a killing preachers. Young men, I mean, having ulcers. Young pastors with ulcerated stomachs. You can go ahead and laugh if you want to. Most of them I know are turning prematurely gray, turning prematurely loose. Most preachers' are nerves are about shot, drinking maylocks by the bottle and eating crumbs. And it ain't because they're worried about sinners having to die and go to hell. They're having to worry about a bunch of full-grown baby Christians that will not get in the harness and head that way, brother. That's it. That's it. I don't know about you, but when I got saved on August the 8th, 1976, I firmly made up my mind that I'm going this way. There's never been a visitation program knock on my door. There's never been a pastor have to call me and say, why would you in church? If I'm not in church, mark it down. I'm near the grave, buddy. I'm sick and can't come. Nobody ever had to come and find out why I wasn't in church, what I was miffed about. He said, has it always went your way? Oh, no. No. But I've made up my mind a long time ago. I'm going this way. Now, you see, you've got this crowd. Oh, they just, you know, most Baptist preachers need a crying towel about as big as a bed sheet. So they stand back there on Sunday morning. And they have to ask folk, how you doing today? Well, preacher, I'm not doing too good. And I tell you this and that and the other's wrong with me. And we really got it bad in 1992, don't we? I mean, if one of our two cars doesn't start, we think we're in a tribulation period. I'm going, listen, I'm telling you, got it made, got it made. And we mumble and grumble and complain about everything. You take an average Baptist, all they got to do is get a one-hole coal. Not a two-hole coal, a one-hole coal. And they'll call the pastor up, and the pastor will have to make two or three, you know, visits. He'll have to drive 75 miles, call him two or three times, and he has to learn how to lie. 
You say preachers learn how to lie. Oh yeah, he'll say, well, you know that does sound bad. You do sound like you may be going to have pneumonia for this thing said and done. They'll say, you're right, preacher. They'll stay out of church three weeks with a one-hole coal, spend $300 of God's tithe money. God help you if you ever get a two-hole cold. You'll probably die. You'll never be back in the house of God. Sure, we laugh about that. Sure, that's pretty humorous. But you'd be surprised what preachers have to listen to. And people murmur and complain and belly Remember Dad preaching before and come home and try to eat Sunday dinner that Mom prepared and, and he, his nerves would be so tore out. He'd say, I wonder where so-and-so's at. I, I wonder why they didn't. I wonder what I said now. That's tore them up. Sure, I grew up in a pastor's home. I'm going to make a statement right here. It's a miracle of God, and it's just a nothing more than the grace of God that, that most preacher's kids don't grow up and die infidels and bust hell wide open because of what they've got to see their dad and mother go through in trying to pastor a local church, buddy. I've seen all that stuff down through the years. I said, I don't want no part of that. I don't want no part of that. And I didn't volunteer. God drafted me. Drafted me, and if you get in, he'll draft you. I didn't volunteer for the job, buddy. No, sir. Here you listen to a stirring conversation. We see, uh, and we look at a strange caravan, uh, but we learn a strict code of conduct. You say, preacher, what in the world? This mother-in-law, man, she's wicked. Uh, I mean, she's mad. Uh, uh, what's wrong with her? She's indifferent and hard-hearted. Uh, no, she's wise, buddy. Uh, she knows it's a long way down through yonder. And girls, you might as well make up your mind right now. Make up your mind which way you're going to go. I appreciate what Brother Ray said while ago. He said when he played for the devil's team, he played hard. When he got on God's side, he was going hard this way. I like that. I'm going to tell you, when I played on that other side, I played that road hard, buddy. I live for the devil a hard way. I mean, I live for him hard. I give it everything I got. When I was out there in sin, I went all the way, done it all. I did whatever he wanted. I'm going to tell you, since I got saved, I want to turn that thing around like the preacher said and give God everything I've got. I give God my all. I do believe I remember reading the Bible right the path of the just that is as a shining light that, that shineth more and more under the perfect day. Not less and less, but more and more. You see, there's a strict code of conduct here, she said. Make up your mind now. Just make up your mind now. Oh, I guarantee you them girls looked at one another. Now, by the way, Naomi's attitude didn't cripple Ruth's salvation. No, it didn't cripple Ruth's salvation. In other words, brothers, when Ruth saw Naomi meant business right there, and she saw her sister-in-law turn around and go back down that way, by Ruth said, I'm going with you. I done made up my mind. There ain't nothing but death going to part me and you. I'm going all the way with you. I like that. I like that crowd that says, preacher, I'm with you. Man of God, I'm with you. You just lead us and we're with you. We're going to go with you. Watch this. Number two, there's principle that's taught. Number two, there's pain when somebody comes back. I'm going to tell you something. There's pain, buddy. I, I, I personally believe, as Naomi said, girls, turn back. Go back down there. I believe when she pulled that veil down and began to spur that little old donkey forward, I believe she was praying in her heart, God, would you give me my two daughters-in-laws? Lord, would you give me some fruit after ten long years down here? Oh, God, would you help them to go with me? Help them to go with She wasn't trying to get them to go back because she despised them. She didn't want them to go back down there and die as heathens and go to hell out of nowhere. She wanted them to make up their minds. Make up their minds. Brother, there's pain when somebody turns back on God. It, it, it hurts the heart of a real preacher. It hurts the heart of a real man of God, a real pastor. Sure, I guess we've all been young and used those cliches. They look just as good going as they do coming. Oh, that ain't never so. That ain't never been so. They never do look as good a going as they do a coming. Now, you know better than that. I mean, we like to see them a coming. We like to see them coming in. They don't ever look as good a going as they do a Oh, I can see. And I've seen it down through the years. I've seen good preachers. Oh, their hearts have broke. 
I saw my daddy many of the night weep himself to sleep over church members trying to get him to go with God. I remember one individual situation there. Dad had a deacon that got crossways. That deacon got back out in the world and, and he was trying to hide it and dad and he found out about it and dad tried to preach him right and pray him right. Finally, daddy had to have a head-on confrontation with this man. Now, I'm telling you, it brought my dad almost to a point of a nervous breakdown. I mean, he loved that man so much and they'd labored together so much in days gone by. And I saw the pain. I saw how my daddy's heart was just broken. Do you think preachers like to see people turn and walk away and get upset? You know the reason preachers preach hard to you? You know the reason they try to tell your children right and try to keep them out of the world and try to preach them right because they love you and they care for you? But it's a hireling that won't tell you the truth. It's a hireling that'll pat you on the back and say everything's all right when the wolf's about to get one of, the, one of your children. There's pain. I tell you, somebody else that suffers, not only the preacher, but I've seen preachers' wives suffer. I saw my mother suffer as my dad would suffer. As dad would go through those testing times and the storms in the church. I saw my mother, I saw her heart break. As she watched my dad turn gray-headed, black-headed, robust man turn gray-headed, watch his health begin to break down. You know... And there's a lot of mossy backs, spineless hypocrites in the church. They ain't got enough guts to come to the man of God and look him in the eyeballs and tell him. But they'll go behind his back and they'll go to his wife and they'll drop their suggestions and they'll make their remarks behind the man of God's back to his wife and, and say things that you're a spineless piece of humanity, buddy. And I'm going to tell you, I believe you ought to have enough guts to meet a man head on and tell him what you think and, and agree and disagree agreeably. Get it out in the open. Don't go behind a man's back and undermine him and cut through his family like that. And keep growing up. I used to go home with some of the deacon's kids and spend the day and I've heard remarks made at the table. I've heard things said. Well, that preacher's a dictator. That man of God, he's trying to take us and he don't really love us. No. No, just give his life to preach to you. Just give his life to preach to you and try to help you. See, there's pain when somebody turns back. I go to churches many year after year. I'll ask the preacher, I say, preacher, where's so-and-so? You sit over here. Preacher, where's that couple over here? I've seen men of God break down and just weep. Say, Brother Buster, they turned back over us. They left us. They went out from us. We lost them. And I've seen men of God weep over them. Even though they had knifed them under the fifth rib, even though they had done them dirty and tried to hurt the man of God, I've seen them said they've left us and went out from us. Saying, what do you think about God? How do you think God feels? How do you think the Son of God feels? When somebody that truly, genuinely has been saved and born again, Turns the back on God, throws in the town, gives up, and quits in this race, and becomes a casualty of the battle. That hurts the Lord's heart. It hurts the Lord's heart. There's pain. I want you to notice number three. There's a problem. There's a problem with people that's always turning back. I'm going to tell you, I believe we can categorize it in two main categories. You might come up with a lot of reasons. You might come up with all kind of different things why people quit the church and get out of church and, and do these things. But I believe we can narrow it down to two main categories. I'll give some people the benefit of the doubt. Number one, there can be a nurture problem. A nurture problem. They're feeding on the wrong things. They've never really grown in grace and in knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Now, I know we talk about carnal-minded Christians. But Billy Sunday said you might as well talk about a heavenly-minded devil as a carnal-minded Christian. There's no such thing as a carnal-minded Christian. Now, there may be somebody saved that's carnal-minded like what's in the book of 1 Corinthians. But there are no carnal-minded Christians. The word Christian means Christ. He said, well, I'm just a carnal-minded Christian. No, friend, you're backslidden away from God. That's the problem. There may be a nurture problem. Many have the wrong food and a wanting flesh and weak faith. And I'll give some the benefit of the doubt. I'll give them a little benefit of the doubt. But that's not the main problem with why people's turning back. 
No, it's not a nurture problem. Not the main problem. Not in this hour. You know what the main problem in this hour is on people that are always turning back, turning back, turning back, turning back. And you've got to try to carry them and tow them and burp them to go this way. The real problem's a nature problem. It's a nature problem. They've just never truly been converted and born again and saved. By the grace of God, I believe that. I believe that. You remember over there in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 22, Simon Peter is describing those apostates that he's dealing with those apostate teachers and preachers in those days and in the last days. Great swelling words they have. He talks about who cannot cease from sin. You better mark this crowd that cannot cease from sin. Now, I know there's none of us rich, sinless perfection. I know the old organic nature is in every one of us. But you better watch that individual that's always a wallowing in sin. Because they've got a nature problem. He said in 2 Peter 2.22, you know this verse, as it's written according to the true proverb, the dog has returned to its own vomit, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. I'm not trying to be vulgar and distasteful. You know what an old dog will do. I mean, I love, I love animals. We just don't talk to you one day. Here a while back, a few years ago, I said, I'm ask you something. I said, is it true? I said, I've read where they, they breed hogs now, and their feet have never touched the dirt. They breed them now, raise them in concrete pens, in concrete uh, uh, lots they're in. That's, he said, that's true. Uh, uh, their granddaddies never touched the ground, uh, and their papaws and great-grandpas, and they, none of them never touched the ground. I mean, he said, we hose them down, we clean it up. They're not raised in filth. They're clean, he said. That's what I'm asking you a question. I said, let's say your boss tells you to get 30 head of them hogs and take them down to the cell, and you get them to sell, and they tell you to put them in pen number three. And out there in the middle of that pen is a big old mud hole, muck hole, manure hole, having a stinking, sloppy mess. And I said, they ain't never seen one. They ain't never been around one. They never wanted one. And you put them in lot number three and turn them loose. I said, what are they going to do? He said, why, you know what they're going to do. I said, tell me. I want to hear it from an authority. He said, they'll sniff up in the air and said, they'll begin to squeal and said, they'll run straight toward it and dive right in it and waller in it like they've been raised in it. I said, tell me why. He said, it's their nature. It's in their nature. Raise them in Christian school. Teach them every principle you can teach them. Get them to memorize Bible verses. Quote the books of the Bible. And they look real good. They all know, they know all the words of Christianity. They know the ways of Christianity. And hey, the first chance they get, you let them get 18 years old. You let them get out from under mom and dad's thumb. And many of them will run. Run straight toward Moab. Right out there in the world. You know why? You know why? Because their nature. They've never been saved. That's the way I was. See, I came forward as a little old six-year-old boy. I got scared one night and a meeting ahead. And I prayed the prayer. They said, pray. And they told me I saved. I couldn't stand the muck in the mire. The older I got, the more I wanted to water it. The more I wanted down there. And I'd go to church and sit every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And then I got to work. I say. Well, what's wrong with me? I'm supposed to be saved. I guess I'm just basking. I guess I'm just out of the will of God. And I loved that world. I loved that world. No, you know what the problem was? I've never been converted. I've never been saved. Now look at me, young people. You may fool mom and dad. You may put your on your counterfeit religion when you're around Christians. And you know how to act. Hey, we've got professional actors as young people in this house. They know how to carry themselves and conduct themselves when they're in one kind of atmosphere. But what about when you're out there with that other crowd? How do you fit in out there? Huh? Oh. Now you say, preacher, don't you believe in taking care of the sheep? Don't you believe, preacher, you're hard now. You're not taking care of... You're judging, preacher. You ever heard anybody say that? He was talking about that coming over here. Brother Allen, now they'll say, you're judging. You're not supposed to judge, preacher. Well, look here. There's something crawling right across through here. Imaginary. It's crawling. It's coming across through here. 
It's black. It's got two white stripes down it. It's got a tail on it with a little white. What are you going to call it? Well, you say, preacher, it's a skunk. Oh, you judged it. Well, you judged it. You say, well, preacher, it's a skunk. It looks like one. It smells like one. It acts like one. Oh, but you judged it. The poor little old critter, you judged it. You don't think there's anything wrong with that, do you? I mean, if it smells like a skunk, it looks like a skunk. I mean, a streamlined pole cat. Hey, with a fluid line drive. You know what you'll say? You'll say it's a skunk. It's a stinking pole cat. Oh, you judge that little critter. I'm going to tell you what, if they look like and they smell like and they love the world, you might as well just go ahead and mark it down. They're all the world. Oh, you say, hey, listen, a sheep may fall off in a mud hole. A sheep may slip and get off in the mud hole, but it may stray too far. Well, you know what that old shepherd would do? That old shepherd carried that sling in that pouch, and he'd catch one of them lambs astray, and he'd catch one of them fence crawlers and fence travelers. That old shepherd put that stone in there, and he'd wind it up and throw it right in front of the nose of that sheep. That little sheep would raise that head up and look around, and he'd see that shepherd, and it knew it'd stray too far. And if that sheep continually began to stray, you know what he'd do? He'd catch it out there and bring it up to himself. He'd put his little old foot up there on his thigh, and he'd take that leg and he'd break it. Break that little lamb's leg. And it would squeal and holler and bad. And then he'd take it and very gently he'd sit it. And he'd put a splint on it. And that little lamb had to stay close to the shepherd, see? Had to stay real close to the shepherd. But if that lamb continually went astray, he'd mark it for the slaughter. He'd mark it to kill it, lest it lead others astray. Isn't it amazing this hour, people supposed to have been backslid 20 years? I mean, they're supposed to have been saved and they backslid. They drank for liquor, smoked their dope, cussed the church, don't want nothing to do with God. And they say they've been saved. I remember like the preacher said in the prayer room, I remember a few years ago when we was burying people like that. Young people, teenagers would get out of the will of God. I know some of them we planted. We buried for his isn't it amazing now folk can sin and get by and God doesn't chasten his own anymore? I don't believe that. I believe God will chasten his. You better be zealous therefore and repent. He said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Now the little lamb may stray. The little lamb may fall off in that muck in the mouth. But oh, you know what it'll do? It'll begin to scream, bash, shepherd. Bash. Boy, it don't like it. It don't like the smell. It don't like that. Oh, it don't like it. It'll holler, get me out of here. Get me out of here. The lamb won't be content in that. You know what's happening this hour? We've had some of them Moabitess hogs. They run through some religious glue factory. They fell in a cotton patch. And they've come a-walking in the local church. they got cotton fuzz hanging on them. And we think it's sheep's wool. And if we just listened to their speech, we could identify them. Instead of saying, bash, shepherd. They're saying, oink, 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 oink. I mean, man, if you get to taking the gospel shears and cut real close, you won't find mutton. You'll find hams and sausage. You'll find money there. They're a counterfeit. Not what they claim to be. You say, preacher, don't you know Jesus left the ninety and nine to find that one lamb that was lost? You better believe it was lost, too. He left ninety and nine safe in the fold to find that lamb that was lost, and it was his lamb then, and it was lost, and he went and found it and brought it back, and you don't ever find where it ever left the fold. Why, did it run off again? No. So, preacher, you don't give a lot of ground for backsliding, do you? Not a whole lot. Not, a, not like we, hey, we've got us a doctor in this hour to soothe our conscience. To soothe our conscience about our kids and our family members. That's the reason I kept telling my brother, I said, son, you're lost. You're going to split hell wide open, boy. I said, you better live. Oh, I said, I'm just as saved as you are. He'd snarl that nose. I'm just as saved as you are. This whole crowd's a bunch of hypocrites. I'd say, but you better check your fruits out. I said, you ain't a bear no fruit. I'd give him them verses and he'd tear him up. Tear him up. By their fruits, you shall know them. What kind of fruits you producing? Who do you like to hang around? Who do you like to be with? Now, Pastor gets one of them turned around, you know. Gets him headed back up there toward Bethlehem, Judah. He goes back to get another. And before he can get this and this is done, turn around, squeal through his legs, headed straight down toward Moab. That's the God's truth. 
Always trying to keep them. Try to keep them going this way. Going this way. There's a problem. There's a problem, brother, with people who start back all the time. Some of them are Alexanders, the destroyers. Some of them are Demises, deserters. Some of them are diatrophies, dictators. Oh, not every church has one of them families, one of them diatrophies families, you know, that's going to have to have everything their way. They know more than the preacher. We're here when you got here, and we'll be here when you're gone. Huh? John said, John said, who loveth to have the preeminence. I like them lambs who just gather around the shepherd, that under-shepherd, and said, we're following you, preacher. Just lead us. Just lead us. We're going to follow you, preacher. Amen. See, there's a problem with those. It's always turning back. There's pain. There's the principle that we're taught. But there's another thing. There's punishment. There's punishment when you turn back. Now, Orpha, watch this. See, Orpha and Ruth, they got with Naomi, and both of them wept. They both wept and cried. And Ruth said, I'm going with you, Naomi. I'm just staying down here. I'm going with you. And Orpha said, well, if y'all are going, I'm going to go too. She wept and cried. Oh, it looked good. We just said she got saved. We just said she cried and wept, and she prayed to prayer. She must have got saved. Orpha went a little way. But you know what the word Orpha means? It means a portion of the back of the neck. That's what her name actually means, they tell me. And I can kind of see Orpha bringing up the rear. And when they wasn't looking, Orpha was kind of, kind of twisting back and looking down toward Moab. She'd go a little further and she'd look down toward Moab. Finally, when Naomi said, why don't you just go back the third time, Orpha said, Ruth, I don't know about you, but I, I think I'm going to go back. I'm going back down there. I'm going to go back. And you find that she rides off, turns maybe her little donkey around and says goodbye and kisses him goodbye. She rides back off down into Moab. One dear man said she's ex out of the Scriptures. You never read about Ortha again, buddy. She's ex out of the Scriptures. She dies and goes to hell. You know why she went back down to Moab? Because that's where her heart was. And where your heart is, your feet soon going to follow. You know why Lot's wife turned back? You know why she disobeyed the commandment of God? You say, preacher, she heard her little boy, she heard her family screaming. I don't believe a word of that. I'll tell you why she turned her back. I'll tell you why Lot's wife turned and looked back down towards Sodom. That's where her heart was. Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. He said, whosoever seeketh to save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life shall find it. She looked back down there because she sought to save the life that she had inside. She's lost. I believe she's lost. I believe Orpha was lost. See, true believers will be like Ruth. They'll say, Naomi, I'm going with you. I'm going with you. See, there's punishment. Now, you may, hey, let's give the benefit of the doubt. Let's say somebody is saved and born again. They get crossways with God. It'll cost you to do that. But it can cost you testimony. You know what's more important? I mean, outside of being saved, is your testimony. Boy, you can lose it just like that. Cost you your testimony. Cost you the thrill of God. Don't you like to feel the presence of the Lord? Don't you like it when the Holy Ghost makes love to your soul and, and you're caught up in that, I mean, glorious, rapturous, I mean, blessed privilege of worshiping God? Hey, you turn back and go down that way. You just go on and turn back and you'll lose that thrill. You'll lose the touch. It'll cost you tranquility. And it can even cost you tragedy. I believe God kills Christians who turn their backs on Him. I do believe 1 John 5, 16 is still relevant in our hour. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that you shall pray for it. We don't bury him like we used to. Hey, I remember a preacher's boy. Listen to me. I remember a preacher's son, 17 or 18 years old, there in Knoxville, up toward Mascot. And I can give you his name, his parents' name. I remember that boy. He got away from God. His family bought him a sports car. 
She was backslid on God back out in the world. Had a testimony to say. Come down I-75, coming down from Jellico and La Follette down through there. And toward Knox, you come by Powell Airport, little old bitty airport right there. He was whizzing down through there one day. A plane come into land. As that plane come down, it's car, his car, that plane collided. He burned to death. I preached a meeting there. I didn't know nothing about this. I preached a meeting there two weeks after that at the church. And I preached on the backsliding and judgment. And his mother came screaming, the pastor's wife. She came screaming, I mean uncontrollably, to the altar, looking at me and screaming, Why weren't you here two weeks ago? Why weren't you here to preach to my boy two weeks ago? And they buried him, the young man. But now they can sin, get away, no chastisement, no punishment. The Bible said, if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. It means you're illegitimate, you don't belong to God. Now, I don't want to close on no sour note. We'll go with you, preacher! Uh, God, don't let the roof kill you. Or the orphans kill you. Don't let the, the orphans uh, rob you of all your joy. Uh, look out there and see the roofs. Uh, the young roofs. Older roofs. Uh, Middle-aged roofs. Uh, and are saying, preacher, we'll go with you. And you know the story of all of this night. That time of getting into all this, I bogged down these all night. The Bible said when they got back to Bethlehem, Judah, it was the beginning of Barnabas. It was springtime. Springtime. You see, when you got saved, it might have been February and 20 below and 10 inches of snow. But when you got saved, it was springtime resurrection in your soul. When they got back, it was the beginning of barley harvest. And they came in there now. There's Ruth. I mean, a convert, if you will, of Naomi. A convert. I said the other night, when Ruth, when Naomi confessed her failure, Ruth confessed her faith, and there they are now. I'm talking about the delight in trusting beyond. When you go beyond, you go on. You see, they get up there, and I can hear Naomi. She probably told Ruth on the journey. She said, listen, gal, I don't know what's left. We've been gone 10 years. I, I don't know what's left of our inheritance, and I don't know where we live or what's going to happen. Maybe Ruth might have said, my mom and Naomi, didn't you teach me? Didn't you tell me that? Jehovah made provision for the strangers and for the winners. She said, you listen, good girl, you've been a good student. You sure did promise us that. And I can see if we get back, you get over there and chapter number two, wall around in there, they got back up there and Ruth said, now Naomi, will you let me go out and glean? Will you let me go out there and glean? Just see what I can glean out here. I can hear Naomi said, I'll pray for you, Ruth, to go out there. And I can see, I can see Naomi, she got a little old bucket. And uh, she started down through there. She started down through there. She was just saying, Oh, God, Jehovah, will you guide me? Help me to get in the right field. She started in this one. The Holy Ghost said, No, Ruth. And she started in this one. The Holy Ghost said, No, Ruth. And, and she started going this one. And there was a nudge in her soul. And the Bible said, And her HAP was to light on a portion of the field that belongeth unto Boaz. Somebody said that HAP means a uh, coincidence. I said, no, it means here's appointed providence. Here's appointed place. Thank God Ruth got in the right field. It wasn't by accident, no coincidence. It was the providence of a holy God. And she got in the right field, brother. She got to gleaning down there. That was the law that the strangers could glean. And that's August Van Ryan said, that's a humbling process. He said, you got to get down to glean. You gotta get down to glean. He said, you'll catch on that for a while. You gotta get down to really glean. Ruth hadn't been used to this kind of work. She's down there on her knees and she's gleaning and gleaning. And all of a sudden in comes riding Boaz and, and they all begin to acknowledge him that he looks at the servant over the reapers and he said, who is that lady? That, thank God Boaz took knowledge of Ruth that poor Ruth ever knowed who Boaz was. That, Hallelujah. I like that. Amen. You say, preacher, we sing the song and shout when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. Well, I can go further back than that. From the foundation of the world, the church has always been on the mind and the heart of God. She's out there in that field. Boaz has knowledge and he said, 
heard about the treated your mother-in-law. He said, girl, when you're thirst, just come on in the house where the reapers come on in. You get the water that they brought. You come on in to get your water. Boy, she thought, the Bible said she fell down the street and said, why have I grace in my eyes and that I have You ever felt like that? Hey, been many a time, but I've been on my knees before God in the secret place. You say like, well, why I find grace in my eyes? See that I am but a stranger. I like what that girl testified up here tonight, last night of saying. She said, I don't understand why God saved me. I don't either. I don't, and I like what her answer was. She said, all I know is it's just the grace of God. I like that. That's all I know is it was just grace, brother. Just grace. She said, are you thirsty? Will come on in the house? Boy, she's just a little old gleaner. No, she's not even a reaper. She's just a gleaner. She comes in there and she gets the drink out of the same bucket that the reapers are you ever felt like you didn't know about it? You ever felt like, you know, I don't deserve, you know, there's some of these others that are real Christians, you know, I'm, I'm just a, you know, didn't know about it. Aren't you glad you can come in and sit down and, <laughs> and drink out the same bucket that the reapers are drinking out of? Oh, yeah. He said, now, Ruth, when you get hungry, you come right on in the house now. He said, look up here, it's about noontime now. He said, come on in, Ruth, it's time to eat. I could see as he brought her in. The Bible said that he passed her and handed her a parched corn. Said evidently he set her where he wanted her. He set her within hand reaching. Set her within hand reach of him. I can see as he brought her in there. They took the bread. The Bible said, and they took that bread and they put it in vinegar. And that, I'm rising Israel. That's not vinegar like you think about vinegar here. It's a bitter salad dressing. Uh, it'd be almost like taking a piece of. Uh, a piece of good uh, cornbread and drop it down in bean soup and sopping or taking a cathead biscuit and breaking it open and putting it down in a gravy bowl and swapping out an old good sausage gravy bowl. You ever had any of them good sopping experiences like that? I like to take that old biscuit buddy wallet around down in there. I like to be in them meetings when that bread is falling from heaven and God's gravy bowl is running over and you get your hand full of that heavenly bread. Stick it down in that gravy bowl, buddy, and just sop and eat under the... Man, I mean, just falling off across the gable of your soul. You know what I'm talking about? He said it in there. He said, now, Ruth, you sit here. And he said, now, I'm going to give you something here. He said, I want to hand you some parts. When I see one of them reapers say, uh, Mr. Boaz, if you'll just give it to me, I'll hand it to you. Get your hands off that. Get your hands off that. I'll hand over this. He said, here, Ruth. Boy, it's good when you can get it from a gleaner or a reaper. It's good when you can read a book and get something. It's good when you're sitting and listening to the preaching and God feeds you. But isn't it a blessing when you're riding down the road and sitting in your study and working on the job and the Holy Ghost to say, I want to hand feed you just a minute. Let me give you some part corn to chew on. Man, I like it when God, when the Holy Ghost opens up one of them jewels in that Bible, breaks it across my soul, feeds me. Hey, you find all this going this way, going this way, going this way. There ain't none of that going. There's no, there's no glory down yonder. There's no parched corn down yonder. Destruction and death and doom. Then she gets ready to leave. I can see her think, Boaz, says she appreciates that. She gets a little old bucket. She's going back out there and gleaning some more. And she walks out the door. Boaz said, hey, listen, everybody. She said, I want you to drop her handfuls of purpose. You drop her handfuls of purpose and you rebuke her not and you let her glean even among the few. You let her glean. I can see Ruth out there. I can see Ruth. She's just a worker, you know. She's still working so feverishly. She's a dragon. A little bit here, a little bit there. Well, all of a sudden, she turns the corner. And listen, off the back of one of them wagons. I'm talking about a. Wow. A whole hand. She puts it there and says, Thank you, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jesus. Oh, hand. It goes a little further. And another one. A whole hand. You're going this way, you find these things. Going this way, you find these things. <laughs> Ooh. December the 20th. December the 20th. It's been a while since I'd had one. I wonder if I'd ever see this one. 
But on December the 20th at 11 to 15, on a Friday night, that door kicked open. My brother had his hands up in the air. He said, I can't go no farther. The biggest, one of the biggest handfuls I ever seen hit the floor. I said, Hallelujah. I'm glad I didn't turn back. I'm glad I didn't quit on God. I found the handful going. Glad my brother just saved, but it's one of them bundles come off of that. Just every now and then, when you feel like you can't go no further, feel like you can't hardly make another stand, one of them will come off the back of the wagon of grace. Just a handful of us. Go in this morning. Go in this morning. The Bible says to beat out that which you glean. The Bible says it was an ephod to barley. An ephod to tell me is one bucket of three pounds. It's having a whole ephod. In the wilderness, all they could get was one tenth of an ephod. Every day they could gather one tenth of an ephod. You can get ten times as much gleaning in his field than you can wandering around out there in the wilderness. Some of you come in and you leave, you're living on meager fat. You're living on one tenth of an ephod. And you look around the rest of this crowd, you don't understand why they shout, why they get excited that Hey, they've been out there gleaning in the field, buddy. They've been out there working and they're getting in time to Working in the field of one individual. Had, had a whole bucket, three, three pounds. Now, he said, where in the world did you glean that? He said, they say his name is God. I hear Naomi scream again. <laughs> Glory to God, she said he's not left his kindness off to the living nor the dead. But she said he's a near kinsman redeemer. Why he's killed to us. Oh, you know the star. Naomi gets matchmaking in her eyes. She said, Boaz ain't married. Ruth, you're a widow. No, she said, I got a plan. Going this way. Going this way. She said, now listen to me. When they went into the barn, he said, when he's through winning that barley, he'll be asleep down there with a blessing for She said, well, the Bible says she changed her path. She washed herself, and she anointed herself. Maybe it was Moab madness. I don't know what she put on. But she anointed herself. She changed her clothes and washed herself, and she went down there. And they always said, you find where he's laying, mark the spot, and you go in there and lay down at his feet. She got in there and she got beside of his feet and she laid down at his feet. She didn't lay down at his head. She laid down at his feet. About midnight, Boaz woke up and he said, Who art thou? Who art thou? She said, I'm Ruth and you're a near kinsman redeemer. Spread your skirt over me. She said, Claim me for your own. He said, Ruth, I'm going to do it. He said, There's a near kinsman in me. So we'll have to see how this thing will work out. He said, You just go ahead and lie down. I don't believe to slept a week all night long. I believe Ruth was watching his uh, up and down as he was breathing. Boaz was looking at Ruth. It wasn't any more sad. It wasn't nothing unclean here. It was secret and holy. And that morning, as the sun began to rise, he said, let it not be known that a woman was in here. He said, Ruth, come in here. He said, take off your veil. Took off that veil. You see these Indian women wear that veil like it reaches all around their bodies, kind of. She took that veil off and laid it down like a bed sheet. She got over there six measures. She got over there and heap a body, got a measure full and poured it in there and six of them, buddy. Six measures. And then the Bible said he laid it on her. What the book said, he laid it on her. I see old boy stick that thing up and tie it like a big knapsack and put it across his shoulder. Now, Ruth, you think she could handle it? Can you take care of it? She said, I believe I can. And she went out that morning and she had six measures of bottle. You know what it was, too? It was a pledge. It was a down payment. It was a promise. She's saying, I'm going to take care of it. She got back up there. She got all back up there to Mama Naomi. She asked you what Naomi said. She said, who art thou, my, my daughter? Who art thou? Well, she didn't know she was. She known her for all these years. She said, who art thou? She won't know if she is just still looking for more about it. But was she about to become real? The wife of Boaz. And all Ruth did was just said, Look here, Mama. Look here, Mama Law. And she threw down six measures of barley. Naomi, I believe she had a glorified fit again. 
she said, you go ahead and you just go ahead, just go ahead and sit down, lay down, go ahead and rest. He will not rest until this thing is finished. You remember how they got down there? That old host such a one, whole brother such a one come by, that near kinsman. Go ask him now, from those ten elders, he said, now you need to, you need to redeem what belongs to Naomi. And by the way, she's got a daughter-in-law named Ruth. Oh, he said, I can't do that unless I borrow my husband from the custom work to pull off the shoe. This old guy went walking out through there, and he was a walking peg legged, and I mean, he didn't have his other shoe on. Boaz has the right to redeem her. He redeemed her. What belonged to Naomi? All this is going to start. Going to start. Then they married. They had a little baby. A baby boy. I can see old Boaz walking out front of that <laughs> maternity center walking around. Finally, here's that. <laughs> and then he sticks his head in there. And that old and maybe holding up that baby boy. He said, what you think wrong, man? Boy, I said, I don't know. I we didn't take that a name. The women said, why don't you name him Obed? Obed. Boy, I said, Obed. That sounds pretty good. Ruth said, Obed. I said, you know what it means? It means worship. It means worship. That, that, that's what y'all are doing here. Worshiping around this little baby boy. I heard that writer say one day, he said, the fruit of the church. That marriage is going to consummate heaven one day when the church and Christ are married together. And he said, the offspring of that union is going to be worship, 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 worship throughout the season. Now I'm through and I've been listening. You've been good to listen. But where you at now? Where you at? Are you maybe right here at the crossroads? You've been contemplating and thinking, and I, I, I thought about turning back. This is a hard way. And this is not, by the way, it ain't easy way. This is a straight and narrow way. I like what Brother Sammy said. Brother Sammy said, for now, I ain't never seen nobody coming back on. It's a straight and a narrow way, sir. I'll tell you what we ought to do. Fight never before. In those last days, just make up our minds. I trust in you. I said, the little song the kids say, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Take my whole world, but give me Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Hey, folks, go in this way that God's faithful to talk to you to encourage you to go on. The danger in turning back is the line of trust in the arm. Where you at now? Where you at preaching tonight? I pray every one of you have made up your mind a long time ago. I'm a going this way. I'm a going with God. God's man. God's message. I'm a going this way. That's how it is. You've been good to listen tonight. Should appreciate you coming to be with us. Help us in the meeting. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed now. I don't know what we need to do. I don't really know how to give an invitation. The further I go, the less I know about invitations. I just trust the Holy Ghost in his voice. They need to come tonight and thank you for the handfuls of purpose that they deserve to pour out upon us. Let us bring even among the few how good he's been to us. Maybe there's somebody here you never know. Maybe some young person, some mother or dad here tonight. The truth of the matter is, you've already turned back in heart. You've already turned back in heart and your feet are still on the fire. Some of you may be headed toward Moab. Headed down toward Moab. I beseech you tonight. I beseech you to recognize your father. You get right with God. Get back in the straight and the narrow way. There may be somebody here tonight that's never truly been converted and saved. No doubt there probably is a congregation besides never been saved. Well, they've got to make you all the time. It's to make you, have to make you, make you, make you. There's no desire, there's no longing in your heart for the things of God. Isn't it amazing that you're the only one that thinks you're saved and nobody else is seen through? Into bad eyes are closed. What do you think we ought to do tonight? 
I'd like them to come and play softly. A verse is sorely in the pages. I'm going to trust the Lord to give it. I'm going to kneel down and do some prayer myself. You just do whatever God impresses you. You may be here tonight. You're, you're contemplating that thought of coming back. And it's dangerous if you're saved. So dangerous, young person. No man liveth to himself and no man dies to himself. Your life has to affect upon others. Maybe you'd like to come tonight and just bow. Thank our heavenly boy. The Lord's hand for the purpose. He did so crazy as a cloud for us. You do business with God tonight. Maybe you're lost. You're lost. I'd, I'd just invite you to come and get saved. I'd come and get saved, friend. Never change that. My daughter just come as a family, brother. I'd ought to just take that wife by the hand and say, Honey, a fresh and a new. Let's dedicate our lives to those who are best my hands you. Know.